On the Mathematical Frontline, a special series of the PLUS podcast. My name is Marianne Freiberger. Over the last two years, we've done a lot of reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic and the role mathematics has played in understanding the disease and informing how we've all responded to it. The Mathematical Frontline podcast is about the mathematicians who are grappling with the unprecedented challenge of studying a live pandemic unfolding in front of our eyes. In this podcast series, we interview our colleagues in the Juniper Modeling Consortium, whose research and insights feed into the Scientific Pandemic Influenza Modeling Group, otherwise known as SPIM, and the now familiar SAGE, the Scientific Advisory Group for Emergencies. Both of these groups advise the UK government on the scientific aspects of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this podcast, we are really pleased to talk to Francesca Scarabell, a member of Juniper from the University of Manchester. Francesca is still early on in her mathematical career, having finished her PhD in applied mathematics only a few years ago in 2018. Like many young researchers, she's moved around the whole world to take the first steps in her career, from her home in Italy, to Finland for her PhD, to Hungary and Canada for postdoctoral research. Now she works in the UK with Ian Hall, Thomas House and Lorenzo Pellis, who are all co-investigators of Juniper. Francesca's PhD wasn't in epidemiology, and at the start of the pandemic, she was at York University in Toronto, working on a range of theoretical and industrial projects. My colleague Rachel Thomas spoke to Francesca over Zoom, so apologies for the occasional glitches in the sound quality. And Rachel started out by asking Francesca what led her to the UK and to working on the COVID-19 pandemic. I found myself by complete chance in an epidemiology group uh, when the pandemic uh, hit. Uh, and uh, it was also somehow weird because uh, um, I had some very good friends from uh, my, between my colleagues. One of them was uh, came from China, one from South Korea, one from Iran, and uh, and we all had uh, offices close to each other. And then we were somehow looking at each other and thinking, like, how comes that our countries are the one that are worst hit? It was back in February then, and um, and those countries were really the first ones to have huge troubles with the, with COVID before it spread all over the world. There was already since January some work going on on COVID uh, because my boss had a close relationship with uh, China, but then I was not involved at the, at the very beginning. Um, so when the, when the cases start, uh, started spreading uh, first to South Korea and then to Italy and Iran, then um, my boss uh, suggested that we would uh, keep an eye on the data from uh, our countries and that's also because um, it is maybe not everyone realizes this but very early on in the pandemic um, not so much data was available a little bit because um, there was uh, so the, the epidemic were at their beginning so there were not many data points let's say but also because um, 
or most of the countries didn't have an established system to uh, collect and share the data. Much of the data was not publicly available. And the data that were publicly available most often were in the, in the um, uh, local language. So for example, uh, very early on, Italian data were publicly available. Actually, it was one of the few countries or maybe the only country back then that had publicly available hospital data, which was really important in the beginning, but they were all in Italian. So then, so we started a little bit uh, collecting this, uh, this type of data and being a little bit more involved. And then uh, slowly we got uh, uh, more and more involved with the modeling as well and the analysis. So this goes again back to February 2020, uh, because while I was collecting this data about Italy, and I was also like really personally involved because my family uh, is there, um, and then I got this news that Italy had uh, introduced a lockdown, which was still unbelievable in Europe back then. I mean, China had done that, and that already looked like a huge measure. Uh, but seeing that in Europe felt much more close, like much closer to, to me personally. And then I was also hearing news from other countries like the UK and a kind of different approach from the other country that at the beginning, uh, it appeared that the UK was uh, following. It appeared that the UK was not rushing the intervention measures. And I remember I was uh, wondering, um, wondering why so. And then... Um, I had a friend uh, in, in the UK here uh, in Manchester, where I'm now, uh, Lorenzo Pellis, who's a researcher here in the epidemiology group in Manchester. Um, and I kind of reached out to ask uh, uh, what, so why uh, the UK was uh, uh, apparently uh, taking this approach uh, that, that seemed different from the other countries. To try to understand, I was also listening to one of the press conferences of, uh, from the Prime Minister, uh, or part of it. And then I remember I, I, heard, I heard him saying that, uh, yeah, that describing that the epidemic was uh, doubling every six days, about six days. And then I remember being really surprised and then talking to, to Lorenzo and saying, hey, have you looked at Italian data? Because Italian data are growing much faster than six days. They don't, uh, they, yeah, they look much faster. The situation is, uh, is much more dramatic than, than the prime minister described it. I, I, I remember talking to him about this and then uh, showing to him the, the, the data. And the data I had were numbers that I had picked from the Italian uh, <laughs> publicly available website and put uh, in my Excel table. I had this very rough Excel table uh, because the data were not available in a, in a, uh, in a yeah, publicly available format back then. And then not only um, testing data that were kind of, uh, they're much more delicate to, to study. Uh, but we were also able to go through hospital data and death data, which are a little bit more reliable, and then realize that indeed those epidemics were much faster. And apparently the, the data that they had coming from China, uh, they came from well a different setting, which was the Chinese setting from very early studies that were made in January. So, of course, they 
had uh, some uncertainties in, in those, but, but the European epidemics were showing a much different behavior. And that's why I started collaborating with Lorenzo and then we kept in touch. I was working uh, in Toronto for another year. And then um, at the beginning of uh, 2021, um, I applied for a position in the UK because I was really enjoying the collaboration with the UK. UK really has uh, some of the best uh, epidemiologists in the world. And I was uh, so lucky to get the position in Juniper. And it has really been a, an amazing experience until now. Tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing, um, particularly since you've been um, here in the UK working with people like Lorenzo. Since the beginning of my position here in Juniper, uh, I've been involved in several um, different projects. Uh, some are more localised in time, uh, more for an emergency response, uh, and some are, some are more long term. Um, as my um, uh, managers here uh, are part um, of SPYM, the, um, the subgroup of SAGE, that informs SAGE. Um, so I'm not directly in it, but I'm involved in that response uh, through them, let's say. Then I, I can contribute to the pandemic response that way. And um, there are several um, questions uh, relate, that address specific points. For example, something that I've uh, contributed to um, analyze was, for example, when Delta first uh, was identified and the vaccines um, had started to be rolled out. And there were questions about should we uh, reallocate vaccines, uh, for example, to specific uh, uh, areas where we know that um, Delta is, has been um, introduced and is now spreading. Other projects I've been involved to uh, were, for example, um, the impact of testing incoming travelers uh, from flights. Uh, all of these projects uh, try to support uh, then the policy decisions to provide evidence uh, for policy decisions. You have to be quick in producing some results that are as useful as possible and as uh, close to being correct as possible. Uh, but you rarely have the time to be 100% sure that you have, you have done um, uh, that you have done something uh, perfect. Uh, actually, it's hard to say what's perfect in modeling because the important thing is to be clear on the assumptions and on the limitations of a model and then being clear on what the model can inform and what it cannot. Uh, so in some sense, this is, um, you should, it's just a matter of being clear on the caveats, but it's also a matter of deciding very quickly uh, what, what is feasible, but can also give some meaningful information, helpful information. This is hard to do. Other long-term projects that I've been involved to um, are slightly more theoretical and a little bit more long-term. So during my transition from uh, Canada to the UK, I've worked a bit on the problem of accurately describing the contact tracing in mathematical models. 
so both the infection and the tracing of the contacts. This is quite detailed to do mathematically and normally models um, that work at averaging the population. Normally these models, they do um, some sort of approximation of the process. Uh, and what I was trying to do was to build a, using a new framework to capture more precisely these interactions. And this was uh, very interesting. And it allowed also to have some um, interesting qualitative results uh, for example, what's the respective impact of diagnosis of symptomatic individuals and the tracing of contact uh, for controlling the epidemic? And what is the impact of resource constraints uh, on contact tracing? Another project that I've been involved was related to waning immunity. I'm still um, working on this. Uh, and the problem there is that once we have realized that immunity to both infection and vaccination may wane, it has become really important to try to describe this in our uh, models because um, the waning of immunity makes so uh, the population is um, uh, largely susceptible again after some time. And this gives um, room for further epidemic waves to, to take off. Uh, so this is really important to understand. And, and uh, in my work, I'm trying to link the specific uh, behavior at the individual level of waning immunity and the individual, individual level with the population outcomes in the sense that different assumptions on how this process works within the individual, they do produce different outcomes at the population level in terms of how high will the peaks of the epidemic waves be or if there will be an endemic um, stable equilibrium state rather than recurring high epidemic waves. So this is some questions. These are some questions I'm trying to address. What's different about working during the pandemic in the role that you've had in the last year? How is it different from what you've done before? I do still maintain some collaboration with the with um, researchers uh, that I started before the pandemic. And those collaborations are more mathematical in nature. They are more theoretical uh, in nature. Uh, and they do proceed at a completely different speed uh, than, the, than the other COVID research I'm, I'm involved uh, in. So balancing uh, these two different speeds of research uh, has been really weird uh, <laughs> because I, I attend some meetings where everything happens so fast and there's such a huge flow of information that uh, I feel I cannot cope with. And then the next hour I'm uh, talking to uh, mathematicians of the very technical details of uh, <laughs> of an equations. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this this... It's a completely different world and a completely different speed. But um, on the other hand, I think combining and switching between these two um, mode of um, of working have uh, has helped me. When when COVID response became too much, then I had another little corner where kind of uh, uh, where I could find some. Uh, let's say peace. Maybe peace is not the the correct word. Uh, but yeah, so to, to, to switch my my mindset. Did you ever think that the work you did 
would become an emergency response like was that something no never actually i uh, as uh, as probably many students uh, uh, students in mathematics i was so often thinking oh my god the work i'm doing will never be useful to anyone uh, and that was uh, for my attitude so some people uh, don't mind because they really love just uh, theoretical work uh, and the pure work this is beautiful in itself mathematics is beautiful in itself pure math but um but for my attitude this was uh, sometimes very frustrating and now that i find myself in this position i'm like wow and <laughs> that is uh, uh, i mean covid has uh, um has been a, a a super tough period a terrible period personally but i would have never imagined that i could uh, feel useful uh, to others uh, as much as i'm doing now because you're you're at a earlier stage in your career than some of the other people we've spoken to what sort of impact do you think um both just living through a pandemic but also working and contributing to the um, pandemic what's that what impact will that have on your career and do you think you'll stay working in this area do you think you'll take this experience and knowledge to a different area of work i'm not sure what i'll do in the future but uh, in any case this has been a an amazing experience and i've learned so much uh, i think i had a great opportunity being in juniper was a great opportunity because there are uh, it involves uh, uh, senior researchers uh, that are world leader in this subject um, as well as um, early career researcher which are my level and maybe are uh, a a couple of years uh, after their PhD or, uh, I mean, of course, I also have some colleagues that are still finishing their PhD. Um, and um, I think the example we get from seniors and from peer colleagues, uh, that's, um, that's uh, amazing. I've learned a lot uh, and I've, uh, I've met a lot of amazing people personally, not, not just uh, uh, from a research point of view. One thing I really loved of this experience was to see uh, the solidarity between researcher uh, and the pandemic response. Um, in general, I've seen um, I've seen people um, willing to to help uh, and very generous with their knowledge, their data, their ideas. Um, and uh, well, I think this solidarity feeling is something that also many people have experienced like in their personal lives in this pandemic, because uh, this has uh, yeah, completely changed our way of perceiving uh, ourselves and our relationship with others. But in the scientific world, this has also been really, um, really nice to see. Another thing that uh, was striking to me at the beginning was that um, I, sh I and uh, we uh, shouldn't be afraid of uh, communicating thoughts and ideas. Uh, so at the beginning, I had some thoughts and 
I'm, I'm still learning, so sometimes this happens uh, still now. But um, I'm afraid of, of sharing them because they maybe sound obvious or maybe I'm not sure that they are uh, correct or that they are meaningful, they are helpful. So sometimes I'd rather, um, um, I'm not so uh, sure about sharing this with other people. But the, this pandemic has um, shown me that um, I should really try to communicate as much as possible because this was uh, really surprising when I, when by chance at the beginning of the pandemic, I reached out to ask for, uh, to, to ask for more understanding about what was happening, for example, in, in the UK or in Europe. And that was, uh, it was surprisingly useful to start uh, a discussion on something that I thought it was kind of obvious. Uh, that was obvious to me because I had been boringly coping numbers from a uh, government website to the Excel file for, for a week or 10 days. And that was obvious to me, but for a person that had been overwhelmed with other types of information and data and the fast pace of the pandemics and the more complicated uh, policy request, uh, that may, yeah, that may not be be not obvious at all yeah i i'm at a stage in my career where uh i'm still yeah finding my path and uh, i feel i i'm somehow honored to that i was able to get to know uh, this world and contribute to this uh, response. And I think this will, um, will stay with me uh, for sure in the future. Francesca, thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of On the Mathematical Frontline from the Plus podcast. Thanks very much to Francesca Scarabell for her time. And we have an article about Francesca and Lorenzo's work on waning immunity, as well as more about the work of other members of Juniper at plus.maths.org. Thanks for listening and bye bye.